Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. We are brought to you by Kane's Tire in San Rafael, California, where they have had the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Well, today's guest is Tim Kawakami, the editor in chief for the San Francisco Bay Area edition of The Athletic. We're going to talk about the Warriors' win in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals against the Mavericks, and we'll talk a little bit about Tim's career and what's going on at The Athletic. All that as part of a conversation that we had on Thursday in San Francisco. Well, Tim, the Warriors played a great game in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals against the Mavericks. I thought it was one of their best games of the season. Thanks a lot for joining me. Uh, what did you think of the game and just the way they played compared to the way they have been playing? Yeah, I mean, it was probably their best defensive effort, I think, of the postseason at least. And, and let's just say the Mavericks match up in an entirely different way than the Grizzlies. And I think there was some of that from the Warriors and some of that in the, in the arena. This is a different series. You know, that, that Memphis series was an opera. It was physical. There got flagrant fouls, ejections, you know, mouthing off at each other. Coaches were not happy. Referees were not happy. Crowd was not happy. This was different. This was the Warriors much more comfortable playing this style. Uh, Luca is a transcendent player, no question, but if you can kind of make it hard for him and put pressure on their other playmakers, then they don't have a ton of other options. At least they didn't last night. So, you know, I think there's major adjustments to go. Jason Kidd is really good at it. But last night just felt like the Warriors in their comfort zone. You do not want to, if you're an opponent, you do not want the Warriors to be in their comfort zone. So the Mavericks have a lot to do. It just didn't feel anything like the Memphis series. And the Warriors weren't going to say, I was asking them about it. I knew they couldn't say, oh, yeah, this is a lot easier than playing the series. <laughs> Woo, we're glad of that. They're not going to say that. But they're going to say it's different. It's definitely different. And maybe the Grizzlies are kind of built to take advantage of some of the Warriors' weaknesses, which we know is turning the ball over, and sometimes they get bogged down on offense. Uh, they're small. Mavericks are, you know, they're small themselves. They spread you out. They can rain threes on you, but if they're missing the threes, they don't really have another way. So that, it felt like a little bit of a, okay, that was good. Now let's see what the Mavericks have for game two. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to miss that many threes in the future to go 11 for 48. That's kind of crazy. But, I mean, a couple of things jumped out at me, Tim. Andrew Wiggins, just the way he's playing in the playoffs compared to the way he played the second half of the season. I mean, he was an all-star, so he played well early on. But uh, he seems like a different guy. Uh, He played great defense, as you mentioned. But he's also he's diving for loose balls. He just seems so much more engaged. What do you think? Yeah, no question. I think, you know, there are always questions about Andrew Wiggins' going off his Minnesota career, number one overall pick. Never really felt like he was a big-moment player there. Never felt like you could just count on him. It's a matter, it's a, it's a Timberwolves, I'm sorry, and, and it's a different scenario, a different role. When he comes to the Warriors, has played well basically the whole time here. Now, maybe not great, but they don't need him to be great. They just need him to fill specific roles. They need him to be that athletic wing. The NBA is about athletic wings, right? That's what it is. Jimmy Butler or Jason Tatum, or you go down the list, the NBA is about that position in, in a large part. He fills that. Can he meet the moment in the playoffs? And you know what's happened? Instead of being less of a player, less of a presence, he's getting bigger, Joe. Like, he's growing in front of our eyes on the biggest stage and the brightest spotlight. Maybe not the whole series, we'll see, but that is, again, the, the luxury they have is they don't need this from him every game. They need it from him most games, and they got 100% of Andrew Wiggins' last game. 
He almost outscored Luka Doncic, right? <laughs> and they guarded each other. Yeah. I think the Warriors would take that. The Warriors, <laughs> you know, the Warriors would take that and run and assume they're going to get more offense from Clay and Steph and everything else, and, and they will. This is how you have to win in the playoffs. You need somebody who can go guard those really good wings because that's who are the great teams have. And then if you can get some buckets from that guy too and get buckets elsewhere, you get through playoff series. And Wiggins has been doing that. Maybe their most consistent player in the playoffs. And, and that's pretty amazing to say You know, on this team with this pedigree, with this amount of playoff experience. The guy that has been the bedrock for them, certainly playing the most minutes. I think he played 42 in Game 6. He will play as many minutes as Luka plays in this series. I firmly believe it. That's they're kind of matching him with Luka. Incredible player. They've been able to count on this guy, and the whole knock on him was we couldn't count on him. And, and as the games have gotten bigger, they've been counting on him more, which is a, an enormous credit to Andrew Williams. The other player that they can really count on, and he wasn't even starting in games in the previous series, is Looney. I mean, Kevon Looney... Uh, is the unsung hero, really, of this team. I mean, the way he came out in the first quarter, uh, he's getting those offensive rebounds, the putbacks, I mean, and the passing, too. Uh, the defense, he had that block on Doncic. I mean, he's just doing so many things. He's not a star player on this team, but he just seems so valuable, and you, you wonder, why didn't they just start him every game in the previous series? Well, you know, they had some issues offensively with Ian Draymond in the past, I guess. I mean, maybe that's gone now. I don't know. Uh, because, you know, at some point, the defense is playing three guys and not five because those two guys aren't going to really score. They seem to figure out something, though. They, they kind of connect with these inside passes. They threaten the rim a little bit more, certainly last few games than they have. Uh, there are some issues with it. I don't know that Dallas is a team that can exploit it, but against Memphis, there were some issues. And so game six, when Draymond and Seth said, we want Looney in the starting lineup, and it worked. I think there were some people in the Warriors who weren't sure about that, but it worked. Uh, they have a chemistry that you maybe that makes them greater than the individual parts offensively. They just fit together, and I think that's what you're seeing with Looney. You know? And they keep trying to take him out. So I keep trying to take him out starting lineup. I mean, they drafted James Wiseman number two overall. It wasn't because they thought Kevon Looney was an incredible center. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, they started Kaminga at center sometimes. I mean, they've been looking for other centers. He just fits this mentality, specifically the playoff mentality. When all these other centers get run off the floor, you know, in a spread out playoffs, when everybody's downsizing, including the Warriors downsize a lot, he can still stay on the floor a lot of you know, 25 minutes a game because he can play that spread out ways. He's just long, he's smart, and he can hit, hit the glass as we saw in Game Six. Uh, he he's just fits what the Warriors do. It's interesting. He keeps coming up for free agency last few years, and he's going to come up for free agency again this year. And nobody offers him anything, and the Warriors get him back for cheap. I, I <laughs> don't know when that will end. Maybe it'll end this year, and somebody will try to sign him for $15 million. But I also kind of think, like, if you're Orlando or New Orleans or whoever, are you, would he really be that good for you like he is here? Probably not. Like, this is this unique value that they've got out of this guy. Uh, sometimes they barely play him, and sometimes they play him to the hilt. Uh, it's unique, this kind of set of mixing priorities, you know, you match him at the right moment, and it's like with Wiggins, and there's a few other guys. Like, okay, you're not going to play much. Now you're going to play a lot, and we need you. And then they're there. A very unique kind of system. It kind of feels Spurs-like, right? I mean, they think compared to the Spurs. But they just have these matching pieces built around Steph, Clay, Draymond. And at this point, I might put Wiggins in that, in that group, too, by the way, which is saying something for him. He, he's moving into that 
you know, frontline group where you just assume he's going to play 38 minutes a game uh, in the playoffs as the games go bigger. In fact, as the games get bigger, he's probably going to play 40, 42 minutes. Big deal for a career like this. Yeah. You know, you can only keep the Splash Brothers down for so long, I guess, because they had just a terrible start, Tim. I mean, they were 1 for 10 at one point when I looked up. and I mean, they had, I think, four points, and they were 0 for 7 on their threes. But eventually, either one or both of those guys get it going. And you kind of know that's coming, I guess, if you're the Mavericks. No matter what adjustments you make, I mean, you're always, it seems like, going to get hurt one way or the other by Steph or Clay. Yeah, I mean, I saw Clay had zero points at halftime, and I thought, yeah. that will not continue. Like, that's not, I mean, I heard it on TNT, Barkley, and, and I know, and Shaq, and the other thing, you know, if you're the Warriors, you're only up nine with Dallas shooting like this, and that's probably pretty scary. And I, I understand that. I don't disagree with that. There were open shots for the Mavericks in the first half that they missed. They did not have many open shots, by the way, the second half. Warriors really tightened that up. But if I'm the Warriors, I got Clay zero, and I think Steph was like, you know, two for ten or whatever it was. Like, that's going to change. Like we've seen some slow starts from both of them all postseason. In fact, I can't think of a time when Steph started hot. Uh, might have been one or two playoff games, maybe that blowout win over the Nuggets. But like it's not been a hot start for these guys. Well, they've been closing, and we know Steph absolutely can close fourth quarters. They're there. They're still threats. They're still making things difficult for the defense, even if the shots aren't falling, even if they're not taking a ton of shots. That's how Wiggins gets the free matchup against Dodgers. That's how Draymond has all that open space. Sometimes he shoots, sometimes he makes a play. They're going to be there. They're still a threat. I, I keep waiting for the 50-point Curry game. I think it's coming. I keep think, I thought maybe it was going to happen last night. It didn't happen last night. The shot isn't there for him early on in these games, but they're late, and they'll take it. They're, they're, they're three wins away from the NBA Finals without Steph having a monster offensive game. I think we know there's going to be one or two or three or four coming up. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll take this. They'll take this process. You know, they're always going to have their share of turnovers, like you talked about before. And I think during the Memphis series that there were some turnovers that were inexcusable. And it, it wasn't just one game. I mean, look, the last three games, uh, they were fortunate to win two of those last three. And that one game where they got blown out, I mean, there were turnovers there where it looked like a high school team, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, so I just wonder, like, how did they switch from that to this game where, yeah, they had their share of turnovers, but they didn't have so many of those really bad turnovers. And I know Steve Kerr was back at the bench, uh, you know, after being out. I don't know if that matters, uh, but you could tell us, like, what you thought as far as why that could happen where you could look so bad and then look so good. Well, we got a movie opponent switch, so that's a big deal. Yeah. And it isn't just that Memphis is great at at live ball turnovers, which they are, and, and converting them, as we know, just flip racing down the other side, you can get the three or a dunk. It's like they just put so much pressure on the Warriors' offense that the Warriors were rushing. Like they, that was part of it. It wasn't, I mean, they were careless, risky, all those things. But the reason they were pushed into them, into the carelessness, is because they were so frenetic they tried to get the ball up. They didn't want to face a set Memphis defense because that was going to be a problem. Jaron Jackson was a problem. Stephen Adams was a problem. There were guys there that just made it difficult for the Warriors in the half court. So they're those throwaheads, which, you know, they drive everybody crazy if you're watching it. They're just sloppy basketball. But they were throwing these risky throwaheads to try to get out of the half court, to try to get the pace going so they did not have to deal with Memphis in that half court. It reminds me of the Oklahoma City series in 2016. It really that, that There was some, some similarities there. Now, no, no Kevin Durant uh, in Memphis, but they did the same kind of length, 
you know, Lane bothers the Warriors. Uh, bothers Steph, bothers Ramon. I mean, it's just because it's good. It's, this is what you, you want on defense. Dallas does not have that. <laughs> they do not have the shot blockers. They do not have the long arms. You know, Maxi Kleber is not going to remind anybody about Jer- of Jerry Jackson on defense. Uh, these are just Dwight Powell is not Stephen Adams. They just don't have that closing speed anywhere. Uh, they've got Luka, and that's great. And they've got Jalen Brunson, who did not have just like Luka did not have a great game last night, but you know can do a lot of the things on offense. They just don't have that other thing that Memphis has, which is force you into offense you don't want to do push you into making decisions that are not the safest in the world, but you make them anyway because you just don't want to deal with them in the half court, or you're trying to do crazy things in the half court because the regular stuff isn't there. That's what happened to Warriors in, in the Memphis series. That is not <laughs> what happened game one against South. Now, they're good defense. I, I cited that. It's there in the stats. They were really good towards the end of the season. They were great in Phoenix, obviously, in game seven. They've gone through two rounds. But you look at it and go, well, how? Like, like, what player is a great defensive player on that roster? It's not Luka. You know, it's not Max Cleaver. You know, I think Bullock's pretty good. I think Brunson can be physical. They've got guys who are solid. It's just weird that the collection seems to be so much better than, you know, you would think individually the stats bear it out. But individually, who's guarding Steph? You know, who, who's guarding Clay? Who's guarding... Jordan Poole, it, it becomes a little difficult. Memphis had those answers in a lot of ways. They still lost the series, but they had those answers. Dallas, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I think, like we're trying to think of like what's Jason Kidd going to do for Game Two. I, he doesn't have this great, you know, wild card to pull out of his pocket and go. Here's the solution to it. I, I don't see it other than just playing better and, as you said, make some of those open shots to start the, the game instead of missing them. Like they were there. The Warriors will give those shots up sometimes because they're such a good help to side defense. They're always trying to be tied together. Sometimes that leaves that corner three open. Reggie Bullock had a few of them last night. Brunson definitely had a few of them. They missed them. That, that might be part of the Warriors' strategy, but you, you might you risk a couple hitting and boom, 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 and then you're in some trouble. We'll see, but the defense is what switched, I think. you know Maybe the Warriors were a little more careful, but you can't be more careful against a team you're not really that worried about in the half court, and that's the difference between Dallas and Memphis, who the Warriors were extremely worried about in the half court. <laughs> well, you mentioned speeding up, and, and that comes to mind when I think about Jordan Poole, the one area of concern, I thought, in that series against Memphis, and I think even uh, Steve Kerr alluded to it with Poole, was that sometimes he seemed like he was trying to go too fast. I mean, I, I know the guy has a lot of speed. He has those long strides. He made some creative shots, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know how he got to the basket on some of those in game one against Dallas, but do you think that sometimes Poole does need to calm down a little bit? Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, maybe not so much against Dallas. We'll see. I mean, we're making a lot of assumptions based on one game, but they don't have the same kind of force and, and, and speed, recovery speed that the Memphis guys do. Uh, he does have that where he loses the ball. I think that's part of him. Like, he can get through defenses because he has this funky kind of start speed and his feet sometimes slip because he's going so fast. I think it's just part of his game sometimes. I, I say this on Twitter and short pole fans get mad at me, but just fall down a lot with the ball. Like it, it does happen. Against Memphis, that was brutal because that turns into a dunk or a three on the other side. Against Dallas, kind of ball kicks around a little bit where he's picking up and then make a bucket. It's, it's a little <laughs> different. Uh, I just it's a it's a feature to who he is. I don't know that they can ever take it out because you want that funkiness. You want the defense to kind of be off balance 
and and he does that kind of weird, like the roadrunner thing. His legs start spinning, and then he goes. It's just you know, it's not this methodical <laughs> process with him, and I think it does take, he kind of throws defenses off line a little bit. Uh, but we'll see. You know, he's had he had great games one, two, three in the Denver and the Memphis series, and then not so good games after that. You know, whether that's the, the move to a different site, whether that's the defense figuring out some things about him, that did happen. Hey, it happens to a lot of people. This is not a knock on Jordan Bulls' first trip to the playoffs. Sometimes you hit him, you hit a team early, they adjust, and then you have to make the adjustment back, and maybe he's not quite there. It's something that he, he plays these great games, though. Like, I'm not taking those away from him. His great game in Game 1 in Memphis basically was a difference in the series. I do believe that. Now, the whole series had to play out. We had everything else that went on. But you go back to why the Warriors won in six, why they had the chance to win in the six, is because they won that game, uh, you know, stole that game one in Memphis after Draymond got thrown out, and largely because Jordan Poole played fantastically. So, you know, again, adjustments, intricacies, we'll see. He's important to have on the floor just because Dallas is going to commit to, to playing Steph, no question. They didn't do a ton of it last night, but they still are not going to let Steph beat them. Then it's up to Clay, and then it's up to Jordan Poole. And in the second half, clearly both are up to it. Poole was pretty good throughout. With Poole, the question is defensively. And again, if they start hunting him, and they, and they did in the second half, and he picked up a ton of fouls, like he almost fouled out of a game that they won by 30, whatever the hell it was. That's not great. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a sign that there's some issues there. But the Warriors will live in it. And again, you know, these are, you're not going to teach him to become a great defender within the middle of a series. This is kind of who he is. You try to hide him as much as you can. They don't have to hide Steph as much as they used to. So, that, you know, they don't have two guys that they have to hide. And then we'll see if Dallas can try to identify Poole and go at him a little bit more. I, I imagine that will happen, uh, at least the, the identifying and the attacking. We'll see if the points are different in game two. Who else do you think is going to be an impact player off the bench? I mean, Kaminga didn't get that much playing time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, you like him. I, I love him. I think he's going to be great, but I don't know how much he plays. Damian Lee kind of surprisingly was getting minutes. Porter seems like a guy that you can count on in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Lee seems to be a smart player. What do you think? Yeah, it's those three. I mean, it's that's Curtis going basically seven and a half man bench, uh, seven and a half man rotation at this point. With Lee kind of the half rotation, he doesn't quite get, you know, 10, 18 minutes. He gets more like eight. Uh, and I know Warriors fans love that, right? <laughs> up there, not Jonathan Kamingo, but Kerr just trusts him. I think that's the point. He's not going to turn it over crazy, although he has turned it over. He might make an open shot. They like where he's going to be where he's supposed to be, and they just steal some minutes, and then Steph comes back in the game. That's kind of been his role the last few games. Kaminga, they don't know where he's going to be. Now, I kind of like that. I, I kind of like that. I think this Warriors team could use a little more talent on the floor. They're not the old Warriors where they just rolling out these guys in their prime, then Kevin Durant and, and Andre Godal and Sean Williams. That's not this team. But they've gotten through it. I think they probably can get through Dallas without a lot of Kaminga. I would guess the next series, so you can see a ton of Kaminga. Now, I thought that for the Memphis series, too. He, he did play some of the Memphis series, but he didn't play great. You know, you look at the stats, and they, they got destroyed almost every time he's on the floor. So you do have to honor that. They're going to go with it, what they know. I, I do think Kaminga's going to get some minutes in this series, not a ton. And if they get through it, he's going to play more. He's going to have to play more. You, you can't go seven-and-a-half-man uh, rotation if you're going up against Miami Heat, right? They're just going to roll people at you. They're so deep. The energy and the intensity is so much. You need some athletes to match up with them and maybe – that's where you see Kaminga. I would play him. I mean, I've been very clear about that. 
<laughs> but Steve Kerr doesn't agree with me. And you know what? Steve Kerr is one of three wins away from the finals, not me. So I'll <laughs> defer to that. Uh, but it's a, it's a good thing to have in the pocket, right? If, if if Lucas starts getting a little loose on Wiggins or Wiggins is wearing down, you got Jonathan Kaminga you could put on him. And, and, you know, and he's not shutting down Luca, but he's going to give Luca something else to think about. That's cards. Like Steve Kerr's got cards to play. Uh, he can go in different directions. And at this point, I don't know. We'll see what Jason Kidd's cards are. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I know there are things that they can do. I just can't think of anything that really seems like it's a winning thing for them to do. But hey, who who thought they were going to win Game Seven in Phoenix by a thousand points? Like you know, yeah. I did not think that. So we'll see. There will be adjustments. Um, you know, m- you know, Anthony Slater, our B riders, like you know, maybe he was just kind of like surveying Game One. Game One, it wasn't going to be the game for him to really like make his adjustments. And I answer like every game in the Western Conference Finals is so valuable. I would never throw away a game. We're not saying he threw it away, but I'd make all my adjustments for game one and then try to win it. And then I have to make more adjustments. I make it against, I don't sit back and, and be vanilla in game one. I just don't give away a game one. And it sort of felt like that, not give away, but we just didn't feel that urgency from the no. Mavericks. Now, if they win game two, it's a whole different thing. But what if the Warriors play great? And what if Steph goes for 50? You're not going to win in game two. And then now you're down two nothing. I, I just don't love the idea. I've mentioned this. I covered Bill Jackson in the first uh, Lakers championship with him. He treasured game ones. He thought game one set the tone, especially on the road, but even at home. Because if you lose game one at home, you're in trouble. So why why wouldn't you value game one? I, I, like, I think the stat is if you win game one in the seven-game series, you win the series like 70% of the time. Like, I, I don't know about the potential idea of, eh, you know what, we'll take a look at game one and then we'll make our adjustments for game two. You try like hell to win every single game of a, of a conference finals. Like, you, every playoff game, you try like hell to win every game. That, that's my opinion, and I think Phil Jackson and Steve Kerr agree with me, so I'll go with them. We'll have more with Tim Kawakami from The Athletic right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415 453 3942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. All right, Tim, let's switch gears and talk about you a little bit. And uh, going from the San Jose Mercury to The Athletic to be the editor-in-chief. Now, I think that was about seven years ago that five, they five started. Almost, and you're, You've been there five, right? Yeah. Yeah, almost five, almost five years. Almost and and five. The Athletic, I think, has been around for a couple years before that, right? Yeah, it was like a year and a half before that launch. You know, kind of a you know quieter launch. Uh, things got really big, starting like 2018. So it's been five, six years for the athletic, basically. And how, how has it progressed? How do you feel about the way things are going with it? You guys have broken a lot of stories. You're getting uh, more and more subscribers. Yeah, the scri- subscription numbers are good. I mean, obviously to have you know five, six year old company and two of those years being a pandemic <laughs> is a little different. Yeah, uh, the fact that we survived that and got healthier through it by you know, trying to get a little leaner, trying to rethink things, I think says a lot of great things about the longevity. You get through that, I, I think you're you're going to be a company for a long time. And I, I 
felt that way like based on when we hit a million subscribers, like nobody hits a million subscribers. There's like three companies in the world that have a million digital subscriptions. We've got a million plus. Uh, that That is a great sign about where this company is. New York Times obviously purchased the company in February um, and, you know, best digital company in the world for digital, you know, Netflix and the New York Times, basically the best two in the world. So that says a lot about the value of this company. We'll, you know, now we have to be integrated into the New York Times Corporation. You know, there's going to be interesting things, how that works. Some of it will be great. Some of it will be probably not so great. I'm okay with that. We'll see. Uh, I just like the idea that the New York Times said this company's valuable and we want what this company does. And it, it just was an answer to whatever you thought about this company when it opened or when as successfully went from city to city, which is how this company started. And there's, there's created value. A media company that created value. When's that happen? Right? When's when's a startup <laughs> media company created value like this? There's just not been many of them. Now we'll see. It's it's been evolving through time. Uh, even before the New York Times came in, uh, there were some changes. Uh, you know, we we started kind of each city controlled its own way and hired its own writers and things. The way we certainly did that way in the Bay Area. I was very proud of that. I was very incredibly proud of our staff. Still am. They took that away. Now everything's running from the national side. Um, I think I've said I was not in love with that, and I can not be in love with that. But they know that. It's not news. And they know how to run the company. They're right. Uh, New York Times now run the company. And I think New York Times very much believes in national control. We'll do the best jobs that we can. We'll continue to do it. I think, you know, I, I just am proud of the Bay Area. I, I had a very clear idea when I was approached by the co-founders or no longer the founders there. They sold the company, but uh, they're still around. That what I wanted, the writers I wanted with me, uh, the way we were going to cover it, and the aggression that we were going to have. Really wanted to build it around the Warriors' coverage. <laughs> I knew that there was this large appetite for really specific, reported, analytical uh, coverage of a fascinating basketball team. Now we had two bad seasons with the Warriors too. But we continued our focus on the Warriors, and we're you know in the middle of something pretty interesting right now. So I, all those things I had hoped and I had planned and I had wanted and I knew these great writers that that we've we've got on staff would deliver. That that's all come true. Uh, it, it has been tremendous to be around that. Everything changes. Everything mutates. Uh, again, it wasn't just because the New York Times bought us. What's happened before companies change, startups evolve. Uh, we're past the startup stage basically now, five, six years into it. But um, I, I'm just very, very happy that there's this value that is now, you know, it's official. <laughs> there's, and there's incredible value in this company uh, starting from nothing into something that is going to be here. I've told the founders this, like, this thing's going to be here for the next 40 years. You started it. I was so happy to be here near the ground floor on it. And that has been a pleasure and an honor to be a part of. You've been in some other markets early in your career in Philadelphia, and then you mentioned L.A. covering the Lakers. Uh, what makes this situation here, this market, different as far as covering it? I mean, one thing I do notice, Tim, is that you're never afraid to ask the tough questions of the coaches and the players. And I'm not saying that there are media members that are afraid, quote-unquote, but it just it does stand out when you have somebody like yourself who's been around some different markets. Uh, do you think that, you know, as far as the readership and, and even just anybody who follows sports in the Bay Area, it's different? Is it very different than some of these other markets as far as the way it needs to be covered? 
I wouldn't say it's very different. Philly's you know, a whole other animal, but I'm so glad <laughs> right. that's where I started, right? I mean, I, I grew up in the Bay Area, but uh, I went to school in Chicago, outside Chicago Northwestern, and then started in Philly, and that's just like, you have to fire it off. I mean, you go. And I was 22 years old and firing questions with Buddy Ryan, and, and I understood, or I, I should say I got to understand kind of how you can be aggressive without being offensive, how you can ask a question that makes them think and how they can appreciate that. Sometimes they don't. That's okay. <laughs> But they don't do it in a showy way. I mean, people can believe whatever they believe about some of my questions or other people's questions. But the answer is the most important thing in the world. The question is not the important. It's the answer. How do you get the best answer? How do you get them thinking? Uh, and maybe giving an answer that isn't just standard and just saying nothing. Now, am I always always successful with that? No. <laughs> Nobody's always successful with that. But I think I would say L.A. is similar. You know, California can have, like, the teams, the, the teams that fans are hot about, they're super hot on, and they're not so hot on some of the others, right? Except for occasionally, and I think that's the way it is in LA: Lakers, Dodgers, Lakers, Dodgers, USC football, US, you know, UCLA. Like that's it. Those are the teams that they talk about. Other teams become rise or fall, but those are the teams everybody cares about. No matter what, you bring up the Lakers, they could be off for two months, or they can be in the middle of the season. People want to talk about the Lakers. Here, we know it's 49ers. Giants, Warriors, and, and probably not in that order. And get on those, learn those teams, and try get to know the personalities. I, you know, if there's a difference in what I believe I've done or try to do, and there's others who do this. I'm not saying I'm, I'm the only one, but the, the, what I like to do, and I think what has you know pushed me pushed me to whatever place I'm, I am right now. It's like you try to get to know the personalities. They don't have to like you, but they have to know you, and you ask them questions that are pertinent to the moment. And if you do, and even if they don't like it, they get that you're asking questions that are pertinent. You're not asking out-of-the-blue questions. You're not trying to embarrass them. You're trying to ask what's happening now and why is it happening. And if you stick to that and they understand that's what you're asking, and you're not coming at them from some, you know, agenda. Some of them might have believed that about me. I think Jed York might be one of those, but that's <laughs> cool. Uh, but if they understand, like, there's there's a consistency here. I might not have liked the question five days ago, but this one is smart. And, and I'll, you know, if there's a consistency there that they don't fear where it's coming from, that there is a much more trend that they will try to address it, at least the smart ones will. They will try to explain what's going on, and then you have more insight than you had the day before, and they try to have more insight the next day than you had today. Like that's been my, always been the way I work it. I think like a beat writer. I, I you know, tr- I value the beat writing experience. I was a beat writer. I think you can always tell the the columnists who were beat writers before they're columnists because it's just a different thought process. It's a more rigorous thought process, in my opinion. Uh, there's Incredible columnists who have not been beat writers, but I just see it. I can see the through line to that kind of everyday rigor to turn over to a column, different jobs, but there's some blending of it. And yeah, you know, it's valuable to me that I know I can go to a Kyle Shanahan press conference, not have an idea for a column, ask some questions that come off the top of my head, and I know I'll have an interesting column out of it. Like that's valuable to me. And I think it's valuable to readers, and I think. When the coach is in the right frame of work, frame of mind, I'm sorry, and the executive or whoever else or the player, uh, I think they grasp that, the context of it. 
I'll put it this way. Steph Curry, you know, he, he and I aren't best friends. We haven't had heart-to-hearts over the years. But because I've been there from the beginning and I've asked questions in context from the beginning of his career in 2009 all the way through the, the tough times, the great times, the fall back down, the, the rise back up, there's a context to the questions. There's a context to our relationship. I have not asked him questions that are, you know, buffoonish questions. I've not asked him, you know, whatever else. I've asked him questions of what's pertinent to right now. What's the moment and why is it happening? And I think that lends depth to the conversation, even in a press conference. That's what I hope I bring. Sometimes I fail that. Sometimes I succeed at that. But that's what I try to bring. And I think the Bay Area likes it, <laughs> you know, in some percentage of it. Uh, the, and, and the writers that we brought to the Bay Area, the Athletic Bay Area, I think absolutely do that or more or better or in, in many different ways. Marcus Thompson does this, you know, in, in, in incredible depth, incredible perception, incredible empathy. I could go down the list. I don't want to leave out people, but you look at the, the list of our writers, they do these things. They have relationships with people. They might get yelled at by people. That's okay. <laughs> as long as it's in the right context, it's, it's coming from what's happening, what's important, and then you get through it. Uh, obviously, Kevin Curtis was covering the Sharks, but he's now covering the Islanders for the company. But, you know, the Sharks would blow up at him. I'd get calls at 7.30 in the morning when I was the editor, and the Sharks complaining about him. <laughs> and you know what? He still got the best stuff from them, and they still dealt with him. Why? Because they had to, because he was asking the best stuff and writing the best stuff. That's what I believe in journalism. And I think it's similar to L.A., you know, and maybe less so than in New York or whatever else, but I still think that kind of, that kind of uh, you know, I don't intensity is probably the wrong word, but passion. Belief that it's important, belief that these questions are important, belief that whether it's five readers or 50,000 readers, their questions should be answered in large part if they're good ones. Um, I believe in all that. And I think in the Bay Area, there's always been a, a, a large desire for this. And I believe that in some ways, the Athletic Bay Area has answered a lot of it. And I, and, and I do appreciate it. I think Warriors was up from the beginning. I, got, I came here from covering the Lakers. And the Warriors were terrible, but I said, you know, I'm going to cover them like a real team. And, and I do think in the Bay Area, the Warriors have been covered like a pet team. Like, you know, you know whatever. So I like maybe the A's are kind of covered like that sometimes. Like, they're not really being taken seriously. And I understand the A's deserve this. I'm not saying they don't. But the Warriors had a bigger audience than that. I knew it. I grew up here. I understood the demographics of what was possible with the Warriors. And I said, I'm covering them like a real team. They're not. They're not a pet team. They're not all oh, those cute little warriors. Great timeout, Thunder. That's not how I'm. I'm going to criticize them for doing stupid stuff because they're doing measurably idiotic stuff every single day. And I'm going to hold them accountable for it. And that was new. I mean, Joe, you probably. I mean, that was new. Like that really hadn't been done. And I was good with it. And you know, Chris Cohan was an, was just an abysmal owner. And there were people in the Bay Area who would not write that. I'd write it. And I'll tell you why, every single day. So that part of it, I think, was different. And maybe that's because I came from the Lakers. I covered Jerry West, and I knew what a smart organization did and how it thought and, and, and the research it did and the options it gave itself. And I knew the Warriors were doing the exact opposite of that almost every single time. So did I know the Warriors were going to turn into this operation and be, like, you know, running through championship round? No, but I knew... If you didn't cover them like a real operation, then you wouldn't be able to cover them well when they did win. But you, you got to do both. You, you got to be criticized with them when they're bad, but you got to make sure you praise them when they're good. And I always said that. 
always said that. And I criticized him like hell during the Cohan era. And this has been different. It's been more successful. It's been way smarter, obviously way more profitable for the lawyers. I'm going to praise that. And if they do something stupid, I'll criticize that too. I mean, it's just that part of it, I think maybe is a little different for people in the Bay Area. But I do think there was an appetite for it. There's an appetite for hating me too, which is fine. <laughs> uh, you know, that's part of the deal. Like, you know, like I'm going to write some things that people don't like. Good. I don't want to be 100% uh, positive. I don't want to be 100% the success rate. I want to be writing things that are on a little bit on the fault line, but make sure I do it fairly. Make sure I do it after talking to everybody. Uh, and I, uh, I would say this is a long, long answer, but. Uh, Everything I write, I can get yelled at the next day or that night, and I have at that time. But I, I think you know that when you read me. Like, this is not coming out of nowhere. I'm not sitting at home never seeing these people, and, like, they don't have my cell phone number, and they're not reading me, and they don't care. They care most times, and if they don't like it, they tell me, and I hear about it, and that's okay. And I think that informs what I write, and it informs the readers that they know this is the back and forth. And if I write something incredibly critical, I'm going to hear about it. And I do. And that's okay. And, and that might inform the next one and the next one and the next one. Uh, that, I think, is maybe some unique thing about what I do. That kind of goes back to what I was talking about because I think if you're in New York, I think you see a lot more of the critical writing. And I wonder how things change because with the fans, Tim, it seems like uh, when a team is going well, the expectations rise and then it's almost expected that you would have more criticism. And because, you know, these teams that you mentioned, the 49ers, uh, you know, that's a team that's now expected to do well. And and it goes back to the 80s when they were so great. And and, uh, the Giants, you know, they've changed the expectations really in the last dozen years. And the same with the Warriors, because, I mean, like you said, uh, there weren't any expectations. So now uh, I would think that fans and you you're on Twitter all the time that they're uh, connecting a little better as far as those criticisms. Yeah, again, it goes hot and cold, and you know, social media brings out the extremes of everything. So even though I react to it, I understand it's not reality, although it is some slight percentage indication of some some of reality. Uh, I just think if you if teams are accountable for winning or losing, it, it matters to fans. The fans get when when you are trying to search for the real reasons why a team wins or loses. If you're trying to skate over it they get that too, at least in the passionate base. And that's one thing the athletic really connects to is, you know, they make, to get a subscription to us, you're paying, you, know, you got to bring your credit card out. So you really got to be a passionate fan, but we want to appeal to those fans. Not crazy. You know, we're not going to go up and down, but react to what's happening and really try to figure out why. And if you don't, and again, that would be, that would have been my criticism, the way the Bay area covered the Warriors for a long time. Like they, there never was, a weight to it. Oh, those goofy warriors. Oh, those crazy warriors. Great timeout. You know, oh, isn't, isn't Monte a really fun player? How would you ever trade Monte? Oh, like, this is all fun. Ooh, 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 ooh. Like the Cubs, the and, lovable losers kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, hey, exactly. And I, I went to school out there, and I, I read some of that. It wasn't all the time, but it was some of that. Philly, I ain't it. Philly stink. Philly stink. Why they stink, let's get rid of the people who make them stink. And Maybe the Bay Area can't be like that, and, and uh, nor should it be, but there's got to be some element of accountability. What's going on here? Uh, and when they win, why are they winning, and how do they continue to win? And I, 
I do think, again, I keep going back to Warriors because a long time ago, I don't want to rip anybody, but I may, you know, there's maybe applied criticism there. I just think it was, oh, isn't it fun? Isn't it goofy? There just was no, you know, uh, responsibility for it. And these, it may be, again, for a lesser team, it doesn't matter because the fan base is so small, who cares? And they just want their cute little players. That was not the case with the Warriors. I knew that. You know, I don't think, some editors understood, and definitely some Mercury News editors didn't understand that, but I didn't care. Um, I was going to cover them like a real team. I just, I just sensed that's how you're supposed to do this. That's, that's how this becomes interesting to me. It's how it becomes interesting to, to readers. And I think and Marcus Thompson was right there with me. That's, I identified him early. This person, he gets it. He, get, he gets where this is going, what can happen. In fact, he you know, enhanced the way I looked at the team. Uh, and that's why I've always valued Marcus other than him being a great guy. Just, it just he enhances how you view a team accurately, where it's going, why it feels the way it feels. And I didn't feel that. And there was like the 49ers had that kind of coverage. Giants have always had that kind of coverage. Warriors did not have that kind of coverage. And that was a mistake by a lot of markets. A lot, I'm sorry, by a lot of media outlets that did not take the Warriors seriously for years. Some of them didn't take them seriously even when they started winning championships. They take them seriously now, <laughs> but um, it just was this cute little thing. Oh, oh it's fun. You know, hey, let's talk about running TMC. And like, no, that was like 25 years ago. It, it just it struck me as wrong, and I, you know, I didn't say anything. I just started covering them the way I cover them. And I'll just say I, I'm, I haven't changed. You know, others might have had a change. I haven't changed. So... When you mention that, I will say I, I think maybe the the Warriors coverage is the is the one I would most underline, and I'd say maybe Forty ers because I did not cover the dynasty. I was other places. I understand the the power of the Forty ers dynasty. I understand it changed the Bay Area. Every story does not have to be referring to the dynasty, though. Like I used to roll my eyes sometimes at the Mercury News. Like every time, let's get Brent Jones on on the phone. Let's talk to Steve Young about <clears throat> the way Alex Smith is playing. Hey, it was Jerry Rice. Have any thoughts about Michael Crabtree? Like that—that's great and all. It, it once in a while, write about the now. Write about what's next, not what used to be. Write about what's next. And I always—I've always had that that feeling of sometimes to my detriment because sometimes looking back is good. And I'll do it sometimes, but I do believe like what's next, what's around the corner, not what used to be. Uh, and th- that's another pretty large tender what i do well tim thank you so much for the time i really appreciate it uh great job at the athletic keep that up and uh, look forward to talking to you again down the road sounds great joe that's tim kawakami from the athletic join us again next week for another edition of the sports virus podcast for now i'm joe castellano thanks for listening on the believe podcast network thank you for listening to believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.